Welcome to the Daily Real Estate Investor Podcast. I'm your host, Josiah Smelser. The Daily Real Estate Investor Podcast is the shared journey of building a real estate investment property business from square one. Join me as we learn together how to conquer the real estate game to reach financial freedom. Together, we will learn from people in all areas of real estate and business in our personal trek towards escaping the rat race. Be you. Do the work you love. Play the long game. What's up, Daily Real Estate Investor listeners? I'm excited to be back with you for another episode today with Mel and Dave Dupree. Mel and Dave are out of Northern Ontario uh, in Canada. They're a, a couple that's absolutely crushing it in real estate investing. They've, they've built their portfolio and now are financially free to do the work they love, which is real estate. Um, they're going to share their story with you about how they built this and how you can use owner financing to build your portfolio and your cash machine and uh, some of their strategies and tricks and tips on how to go about doing this. Um, this couple is living the good life. They've got three kids. They've restructured their life to be able to let them do work they love and free up their time, which is what I want for for everyone here. I want you to have freedom with your time to do things you love doing and are passionate about because that's how you're going to change the world. Um, let's uh, Also, I want to tell you before I forget, check out their book. They have a book on Amazon, Real Estate Investing Secrets, and they're also on Instagram, Investor Couple, Mel and Dave. And um, guys, uh, don't forget to to leave me a review on the podcast. Um, your feedback has been awesome. I absolutely love and appreciate each one of you. And thank you so much for subscribing to the show and listening to the show and, and share it with your friends too. Love to continue to grow this thing. And um, man, I just appreciate you guys. All right. Without further ado, I want you to sit back, relax, and have a rotten time. All right, Dave and Mel, I'm so excited to have you on the podcast. Thanks for joining us today. Hey, thank you so much for having us. We're thrilled. Yeah, thanks, Josiah. Absolutely. Uh, so Dave and Mel, um, connected. we connected uh, over Instagram. Their, uh, their Instagram handle is Investor Couple Mel and Dave. And these two have really been killing it. They they were married about seven years ago. They got three small kids, and um, and they've been building their real estate business um, so they can have financial freedom to be able to spend their time the way they want, and they've achieved that. And I, I definitely wanted them to share this story with you because this is really what we're all going for. And I know Gary V talks about you know the the thing to chase is happiness, and I think if you can build your business to give you freedom with your time. It allows you to to do things that make you happy, which is spending your time the right way. So it's not all about the money. It's about the freedom of your time. And these two have achieved that. And I love that. So Dave and Mel, I would love for you guys to share your story and tell us kind of how you got started in this, what made you make this decision to pursue this and, and kind of just, um, yeah, give us your story. I, yeah, no, thank you. Um, so real estate has always been kind of uh, I was even in high school, I was interested. I remember reading books on real estate in high school and um, just thinking, you know, like, how are all these guys rich? Like, and, and it seemed that everyone who was, you know, millionaires, it always came back to real estate. They, even if they had other things going on, uh, real estate seemed to be kind of like the focal point. Um, so it's always been on my radar. Um, and then when I met Mel, she had uh, two duplexes. I had a single family dwelling. 
And obviously she kind of, she kind of helped me out because I was worried, right? Initially it was, you know, had those barriers. What if, what if, what if, and then she had, she'd already been doing it. So she kind of lifted those. Um, and yeah. That's cool. Yeah, so, that's so, so when you, when, so when you met Mel and she had two duplexes, were you like, this woman is the right woman for me? Well, that and other, that other reasons. You fell in, you fell in real estate love. Yeah. And, and awesome. not to, not, and you know, you can always be attracted to someone and, but then when you find out that your interests and passions are the same, it, it, you know, and totally. now I work with my best friend every day. So it's just different, right? Yeah. That's awesome. Okay. Yeah. Keep going. Um, yeah. So she just, I, like I said, I was scared. I was worried, you know, tenants, leases, blah, blah, blah. And she was already doing it. So she just kind of took that away and, and then reassured me, you know, it's not rocket science. People do this all around the world every day. And then once I realized, okay, it's just systems and okay. And then we just took off. We just started buying. And I think we had a nice combination because I, I had less fear because I thought, well, we'll figure it out as we go. And Dave had this huge drive. Like he's, you know, he's always, you know, since he was a kid, he used to tell people, hey, I want to be a millionaire by the time I'm 30. And, and he put it out there and he had this drive that I've never seen before. So you know, knowing that he had that drive and I had the, a little bit, not much, but about a little bit of experience, I knew that we could do this in a big way. Super cool. And you guys have three kids, right? Yeah. So, so that's the thing. And often people said, you know, how do you guys do it? And it's, well, it's, it's important to us. So we create time. And one of our things was we didn't want to take away from the kids. So how do we do it? Well, you know, get up a couple hours early in the morning or, work on it for an hour once the kids are in bed. We don't ever watch TV, like <laughs> never. Um, instead, we listen to podcasts and learn and grow. So um, so that's how we were able to do it with the kids. And we involve them as well. Like my, I have um, the two girls are a bit older, 14 and 10, and they already know about debt and how debt can sometimes be a good thing and real estate. And, and I think that's a gift to get them involved in talking about money and, and things they don't teach in school. Yeah. And then the one cool thing is they see us working a lot. Uh, just work ethic, right? Like, cause then we, we, we show them, okay, we got to do this. Like guys, we need now we're here. Let, let us cr- crush some business, but then, you know, go to Disney world, we did Disney world three times. Like we just, they, they get to see the, uh, the work and reward aspect of it. So I, I love showing them that. Super cool. So, um, Dave and Mel are located in North Bay, uh, which is Northern Ontario uh, in Canada. And they were able to purchase 12 properties in 12 months. They currently own about 22 buildings, just under 100 units. And this is uh, both single family and some multifamily. And um, you guys were able to leave your nine to five and do real estate full time by living off of the passive income, quote, quote unquote, passive. Of course, we know it's not fully passive. It takes a lot of involvement, but the passive income created off of these properties. So tell me, uh, Mel, you were telling me, you know, in our call, basically off the podcast, kind of what led you into this. Um, give us that story, if you will. And let's talk about how you were able to take down these properties and create this cash flow machine. Yeah. So it's a, it's a bit of a long story and with different layers, but, um, so we started investing and they've had that passion for it. And, and I saw value in it as well. And we, we kept purchasing and at first it was easier because we only had to come up with a 5% down, but then the, you know, roadblock rules changed. It's 20% down. So, okay, well, how are we going to do that? So we figured it out. 
and then we hit another roadblock is that while we don't have 20% down after we're at our whatever fourth or fifth building anymore. Um, and then that's when we discovered, you know, what people kept talking about was vendor take backs and OPM and whatnot. So we did a lot of research on that. We, we, although we, at first we didn't get it, we didn't think it would work. Um, but once we found out about it and made sense to us, we, we, that's when we purchased the 12 properties in the, in the, in the 12 months. And I kept thinking I, there was a goal behind that. So, we, you know, kind of rewind, like, okay, I want 12 properties, but I kept thinking if I can make, let's say a thousand dollars off a duplex, um, profit, if I do that 10 times, so if I buy 10 properties, that's 120, that's, or sorry, that's 12,000. That's a lot of money. You know, that's more than what I'm making on my full-time job, including my pension, including my benefits, still leaves room for, you know, unforeseen and that kind of stuff. So we had a goal behind that, which kind of motivated us to do it. Um, so then we, you know, we, we hit the 12 and, uh, for some reason I feel, although we were there and I, we, I could have left my job, I think I kept making excuses like, oh, I'll, you know, let's I'll, maybe I'll stay another five years. So that way the banks are going to keep saying yes to us and whatnot. So, so I did. So I, I stayed there and, uh, we were actually on our way one weekend to a real estate investing conference in Niagara Falls. And it was just Dave and I, we had a shuttle service provided. So we were both in the back, you know, enjoying life, working away on our laptop. And out of nowhere, a transport driver hit a vehicle that hit us. We hit the guardrail and our SUV rolled across the highway, you know, at 120 clicks an hour, four or five times. We landed upside down and into upcoming traffic that are also coming 120 clicks. So we're extremely, extremely lucky to be alive. Um, you know, it's a, it was a awakening. So that was, you know, I was in a, the, obviously transported by ambulance to the hospital. And ironically, the entire time I was there, of course, I thought about my children, but I kept thinking about work. And sometimes I had to travel with work. And I kept thinking, oh, my gosh, like I can never... I never want to be on the highway for my work. I never want to go put myself on a highway ever again for something that I absolutely don't love. So if I'm taking my kids on a trip, absolutely. If I'm going to a real estate investing conference, absolutely. But to go there again to do something I don't absolutely adore is just not worth it. So I had a bad concussion. Um, I was off for a few months. And as I was recovering and getting ready to go back again, it was just that gut feeling. And every time I would think about work, I was just, I just, I couldn't do it. And uh, so I decided, you know what, let's do what we love. And I, I just never went back. I love it. Wow. That's a, that's a powerful story. So I think it's so interesting that you had this near death experience and then, you know, on the way to the hospital and while in the hospital, you're sitting there thinking, I don't want to do this work anymore. And you're thinking about how important your kids are, you know, and isn't that how life works? It's like, a lot of times it's like, it takes something like that to like shake us to where we're like, we see clearly what we really want and what's really important and what's not. And that's what I love about what you guys are doing now is like, I, I wish, I wish everyone could experience the power and the freedom of doing work you love and being able to spend your time the way you want to, you know, and real estate yeah. allows that, which that's, that's why I'm so passionate about sharing this with everyone that listens. Exactly. And, and as, as odd as it sounds and as, you know, I still get shaken up every time I'm on the highway or thinking about the accident and, 
you know, it was the worst thing ever, but in a way it was, it was a blessing because it, now I'm doing what I love every day. I can be home with my kids whenever I want or pick them up from school and have that freedom and flexibility. And, and, um, that's when we actually, that same weekend, we still went to the real estate investing, um, conference and we, we got motivated and decided to write a book to, to share to others as well. That's great. Yeah. So tell us the name of that book and, and where our listeners can find that. Yeah, it's uh, really, sorry, Real Estate Investing Secrets, the No BS Guide um, to Wealth and Freedom. And it's on Amazon.ca. It, it's actually hit uh, bestseller on Amazon a couple of times in different uh, categories. Congratulations. Um, but, and, uh, yeah, thank no, thank you. you. And again, when we're sitting in the emergency room and they cleared the x-rays and everything, we're like, hey, are we going to go home and dwell for the weekend, feel sorry about ourselves? Or are we going to go to Niagara Falls, meet some people and better ourselves. And it was, it was both of us, let's just go, you know, and then we were so glad we went. So we didn't go there with the intentions to write a book, but then we met, uh, uh, Helen with the, uh, with the, not the author, but what, you know, the, the publisher. Yeah, yeah, there you go. And, uh, Mel told the story, we connected and here we are now. Now we've got an Amazon bestseller book. So it's kind of cool, right? That's Helen awesome. Yeah. Like. Well, wow, what a what a powerful way to to take a negative event and then use it for good in your life and and to help others. I love it. That's awesome. Okay, so let's 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 talk about how you um, how you were able to. And uh, one one thing I wanted to mention, Mel mentioned OPM. That stands for Other People's Money, and that is a, a tremendous way to supercharge your investing uh, game. Is because a lot of people are bottlenecked by their own capital, and they think, okay, well, I've got the banks, I've got hard money lenders. But there are private, there are also private investors, and you know it could it could be anyone from, you know, uh, somebody who specializes in private money lending all the way down to you know just someone you know who's willing to lend you twenty grand for a deal, and you know there's some rules around that you have to make sure that you're following. Um, but when raising private money, but that's a different subject. We're not going to dive into that right now. But using other people's money is a great way to be able to take, you know, let's say debt from maybe a hard money lender or a bank and then layer in other people's money on top of that and buy this thing for, you know, you can buy something for a hundred percent down basically with other people's money and the other financing source. So, so tell me about these, these 12 properties in 12 months, you were using other people's money um, to basically purchase these. And we know we can layer in other, other people's money on top of that more traditional financing to be able to take these properties down. Um, how did you use other people's money in this scenario? And, and can you give some advice to people who haven't done, done that before, basically how they could go about locating that and, and how they can use that to build their portfolio? Absolutely. And uh, OPM is what changed our life. Um, so the one thing that just to get out, you know, get it out of the way is people are going to tell you that doesn't work here. Um, that's not doable. You know, yeah, it might work somewhere else. It works everywhere. So just right off the hop, you know, the bank, the lawyers, the real estate agents, everyone's going to tell you that. So just buckle down and find someone who's not going to say it. So when I hear that now, I usually just say challenge accepted, right? Um, so other people's money, once we realize vendor take backs, that's been our bread and butter, um, where, you know, like you said, hundred percent financing. So we'll find a place, you know, the numbers make sense. We've got a motivated seller. Um, and it can be for different reasons, right? They want to, they're, they're tired of being landlords. They want to sell, but they don't want all the capital gains in the same year. Like just, just totally different uh, scenarios. Like we found one guy, great guy here in our city, sold us four places. He's helped with financing to avoid capital gains. 
Um, so you just have to ask the question. And even if you go on MLS, like in Canada, I know you can go on MLS, you can write in the filters like VTB or vendor take back. Like people are now putting it out there where you can literally narrow down buildings um, to that search criteria. So, so anyway, that being said, vendor take back has been a huge thing. Uh, we found financial institutions that are okay with, you know, doing a first mortgage up to, you know, sometimes 75 or 80% loan the value depending. And then the owner holding back the remaining funds. So we've walked into deals with zero money in and, and calculate your return on investment. If you put zero money down and you're cash flowing a thousand to $2,000 a month from that property, yeah. it's, it's infinite. Yep. Yep. I always love that calculation. I yeah. know. I, I, when you actually do it on a calculator, yeah. It's a, anyway, so it's infinite return. It's, I love it. So how many of these were you using owner financing for that other, other people's money piece? And how many of these were you using just like a private investor you had or something like that? So th- those 12 in the first 12 months, well, I shouldn't say the first, the 12 and 12 months, we had some before and we've gotten some after, but those ones were heavily vendor take backs. Like that year, as soon as we figured out what a vendor take back was, and I'd heard it a bunch of times and I thought, what is this? You know, are you trying to sell me snake oil? Like I thought it was a Houdini, you know, I thought it was illegal. And, but then once I realized that, no, this is doable and you just need to find, you know, dot the I's, cross the T's. So that, I think the 12 that we bought that year were all VTBs. Um, it isn't to some, to some extent, it could have been a hundred percent of the, the, the mortgage or it could have been, you know, bank first, then, then second. Now, nowadays what we like to do, we still do VTBs. Again, we, we've built our reputation. Uh, in our book, we state, you know, I'll sell my house before, before I burn the bridge for the, the golden goose. Um, I, I'm never going to not pay back an investor, right? Because then my reputation goes down the, down the drain. So that's kind of our motto. Um, nowadays, what we do with OPM is mostly, you know, I'll find a building, it's in distress or underperforming. I'll find someone, you know, hey, can you lend me X amount of dollars? And, you know, we agree on the interest rates. We'll go in, we'll flip the building, we'll get new tenants in, we'll get, you know, TLC, put some lipstick on it, make it nice, and then uh, bring it back to the bank and refinance it, pay out the investor. We've got a, basically a free building that we put a little bit of t- a TLC into it, and now we're cash flowing every month, and the investor wants to do it again because they made money on their money. And the awesome part um, about this is that people are investing in real estate, because that's, real, I love real estate. The stock market, and that's not even, it's just numbers. Real estate is brick and mortar, which I absolutely love. So they get to invest in real estate through us without having the, you know, phone calls and all that. So that, that, that it, it's a pretty powerful thing. Very cool. All right. So let's talk a little bit. Uh, let's, let's dive a little deeper into this VTB or vendor take back strategy you're using. Can you explain again exactly what that is and how to go about that? Absolutely. And let's just use some very easy numbers. Um, so let's say, okay, 100,000, like this is, you know, for example, 100 grand. So someone has a duplex for 100 grand or whatever, triplex. Um, I know the bank, and the numbers have to make sense, right? You can't just, like, we've had VTBs where people want to sell it to us, but if it doesn't cash flow, it doesn't cash flow, or if there's no potential to cash flow, like, we turn down deals all the time. So, so don't be, just because someone's waving a vendor take back, don't just take it, right? Um, Are you using the word vendor take back? Is that synonymous with foreclosure? Is that a Canadian term for foreclosure? No, no. This is one where, let's say, Josiah, you have a house or a, a property you want to sell. Um, but it's on MLS, it's on the market, or it can be private. Hey, David Mel, I want to sell you my property. And I say, okay, 
you know, the numbers look good. I want to buy your property. However, can you help me out with the down payment? And you say, well, well how do I do that? I tell you, okay, I've got a bank that'll give me 75, 80% loan to value as a first mortgage. And so that I don't have to come up with the, the down payment, can you hold, so that's the vendor take back, can you hold the second mortgage um, of the remaining balance? So in this case, on 100,000, you know, the bank will give me 80 grand on closing. So you'll get 80 grand, but then you'll hold back that 20, which I now pay you over, let's say, a term of five years. And you're making interest on it as well. So it's kind of a, I win because I don't have to put a down payment. You sell your building. And then the money you hold back, you don't have to pay in capital gains. And you make points on it. So kind of a win, win, win. Yeah, yeah. So, so vendor take back is synonymous with just basically owner financing. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I got you. Okay, very cool. Yeah. Very cool. So using yeah. using basically just owner financing from and that would be equity that the owner has that they're they're going to make you a second loan on so you don't have to bring that to the table. Very cool. Exactly. Very cool. Okay. Um what's amazing about that as well is that um as Dave said and and this is crucial. So when we when I heard about it, I remember hearing of other people failing in the industry when they did the, you know, second mortgage or, or VTB when they, when they um, started doing that. So I met with a variety of people, you know, uh, by phone and whatnot. So I did some research. I connected with people that had difficulties with it. And what I found that they all had in common is that they did not have an exit strategy. So how am I going to pay back, whether it's a private loan or a VTB, how am I going to pay that person back? So that's how we always ensure to, you know, we'll look at so many places before going with the one because we know that one we're able to to pay back. And we have uh, just this year, I mean, we repaid back so many already that we still have four years to pay back when we repaid early. And guess what? They want to invest with us again. So some of them, they just had private money. We pay them back and they say, hey, I keep me, keep making me money, you know, here's 50 grand or a hundred thousand or whatever the amount is. And then you have other ones as well. That's a VTB that have another property they want to sell. And they said, okay, well, pay me off this one and let's do it again. So once you start doing that, and most importantly, once you have proven that you know how and can repay um, the private lenders, whether it's, whether they are attached directly to the mortgage or not, um, you can just continue once again, re- rinse and repeat. Very yeah, cool. owner financing is amazing. Yeah, that's awesome. So, do you have a clause in this in this owner financing um, agreement that allows you to refinance and pay them off at any time, or how does that work? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and and again, but it depends on. Yeah, we have the uh, it's open ended, right? Where we can pay them off at any time. There's some some that don't want it though. Like a lot of the people, we spent over seven years, even like five or seven years. So. But no, it, it, we always work with, it has to be a win-win. Like talk about in our book, the owner, like I don't want to rip anyone off because that's, someone has to lose in order for me to win, right? So, um, and I'm not saying I don't like good deals and all that, but yeah, we, we work with our owner financing. You know, if the, if time is, is what they're looking for, you know, then we'll work with that or if it's interest or, but yeah, it, it, as long as it's a win-win and I'm winning, they're winning, I'm happy. So cool. it's always open-ended or if they don't like that, then we switch it up. So out of these just under 100 units you have, um, what's the what's the makeup of this portfolio? I know you said you have some single family, some multifamily. Yeah, so it's uh, our biggest uh, to date is uh, 17 plex. Um, so basically everything is residential. 
I think we have two commercial units. The the one we close on on August 29th has another two commercial. Uh, it's a sixplex, but but residential is really our our bread and uh, bread and butter. Um, just because in our philosophy is just some people always need a place to live, right? Sure, absolutely. Okay, so so let's let's pr- let's practically walk through someone who's never purchased a property using any owner financing. Let's walk through logistically how you source this and how you approach that conversation and how you basically sell that to the owner who's got equity that's maybe wanting to get equity out or whatever, or, or isn't sure. How, how are you, how are you locating and taking these down? And to be honest, it's a, and we'll try to brief it for you. My first thing that I say is that, you know, spend, spend time researching it, learn the lingo that is so natural for you that you can sell it, sell to, to, to the person. So we'll try to explain it, but again, this, this probably won't be enough to, to really explain it all or, but so spend, you know, spend a couple hours, listen to some podcasts about them to, to really understand it. But essentially, um, you, you have to sell them the benefits of it. So you find a property, um, it could be on MLS or it could be one that you knocked on your door or they came to you. And then you talk about the, the, the owner's owner financing and, and depending on the situation, um, we try to ask a lot of questions. So find out their needs. Are you, are you, have you ever heard about, um, holding a second mortgage on the place and, and if they haven't then explaining to them all the benefits that comes with that, such as capital gains. And that means you need to know what capital gains mean. So if you don't know that, you know, do some research on the capital gains portion. So you can really explain to them why what's the benefit for them. Um, also explain to them why they should trust you with their money. So is it your first time? If and, and if I mean we started with our first time as well. Um, so everybody has their first time so it can still be done. Um, so they need to, they need to believe you. They need to, you need to show them perhaps your finances, your, your credit information. So they need to feel comfortable having their bill, having, having better money with yeah. you. Yeah. Well, they're going to be your bank, right? Um, I usually, to be honest with you, I just kind of throw out their creative financing. Are you open to creative financing? Uh, and that'll usually lead to open a bunch of other questions, right? Cause it's not, it's not your typical go to the bank, get a mortgage. Well, it still is, but it, it, it is creative, right? So, and usually I'll say, you know, how long have you owned the building? Because if they just bought it a year ago, chances are they don't have much equity unless they put a whopping down payment down. Um, but things like that. And the other thing too is don't be pushy. Like 90% of people that I talk to about, uh, you know, owner financing, they want to talk to their accountant. They want to talk to their lawyer, which is fine because why should you listen to me, right? Um, so they go and they talk to their accountant, they talk to their lawyer. Sometimes it's good, sometimes it's bad. Um, but I just tell them, I, I know you're, you know, if you're worried, that's fine, right? Don't don't be pushy. So they'll usually come back um, because everything is legal with owner financing. Um, but yeah, and don't be afraid to show them some of your financials because again, treat them like you, you wouldn't be scared to show the bank. You know, I'm not, I'm not saying give them your social security number or anything, however, but don't be afraid to show me your finances and show me your exit strategy. I bought the building for X. I'm going to do this and this and this. It's going to re it's going to appraise higher. And this is, how I'm going to pay you out. Dave and I, we always, um, you know, when we try to uh, new, anything that's new, we always say, why should somebody say yes to us? So, you know, if we're going to be approaching somebody and it's a, whether it's a huge amount or small amount, 
why would they say yes to us? What would make us say yes if somebody were to come to us? And then we, you know, you make a list of everything and then you make sure to touch on each one of those things. So the, you know, what about terms? What about the interest rate? What about the length of time um, the contract for? What about amortization? Um, what about, hey, what if something goes wrong? And, and we've had all those questions. Well, what if, you know, what if the tenant doesn't pay rent? And well, okay, well, we had our proven record in this case of, basically zero vacancy um so be prepared to to answer all the questions know the terms know the language is huge because nobody's going to want to invest with you if you can't speak the proper language and they're out there the only financing's out there don't think again like i said earlier it doesn't work here it doesn't have we don't have this in our area it's everywhere so just ask and you might get 10 no's to get to your first yes but once you get that first yes it's so worth it, right? So Absolutely. Yeah, it's it seems like just a numbers game on asking people yeah. if they're willing to do this. You know, you may have one in 10 or one in 20 say they are, you know, but yeah. once you find that one, I mean, you, you can do the whole deal with no money out of pocket, which is incredible, or even just a little money out of pocket, you know? Um, exactly. It's worth it. Yeah. Don't okay. get the whole first one. Your first one, I, in my opinion, the first one's the hardest one to get because yeah. um, they are trusting you the first time. So, so again, what does that mean? Give them as much security, make them feel as safe as possible. So sure. show them your finances, show them the your plan, your exit strategy. Are you going to do rentals? Are you flipping the house? Are you putting on a new roof? How are you going to pay them back? Um, so, so know all of that going in. And also, if you're dealing with a realtor, make sure that your realtor is investor focused. If he doesn't believe in it, he or she doesn't believe in it and doesn't you know, sell it or sell pitch it to the person, you're not going to get it either. So yeah, well, you're 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 an agent. You get it, right, uh, Josiah? Like if, absolutely. If, if you're not, right. If, if I'm asking you to uh, to relay a message and it stops at you, um, or it stops at the realtor, right? It, it's dead in the water. So that's so important. Definitely. Yeah. There's there's a there's a big difference between agents who are investors and understand investment and agents that are just kind of the retail buyer, you know, yeah. sellers and bu- buyer and seller agents. Um, I've, I've, I've found that the majority of agents don't have a clue about investment properties at all. So, I mean, like I I remember when I, before I, before I was an agent, I I found a property I was really excited about. That was a foreclosure. We went, we went to this property, I opened the door and it just smelled like a zoo. Like it was, you know, animals, animals had peed on the carpet. I mean, the carpet was disgusting. There was just, it looked, it, it looked, it looked terrible in there. It smelled horrible. And I immediately got really excited. I was like, "Oh, this is great!" Yeah. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm feel, I'm feeling this one. And my agent was like, "I would never in a million years buy this." And I don't know why you're interested in this. And I'm like, "This, this lady does not understand like investment in properties at all." You know what I mean? So, uh, exactly. yeah, she, she just didn't like the smell and the look of it. And I was like, "The numbers are great on this." <laughs> so, um, yeah. So and what's funny is the the smell is helping the numbers. The smell that's is right. The numbers go up. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. Like when I when I walk in a place and it smells bad, I'm like nobody's going to want to buy this, which means I can get this for a better deal. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, um, okay. So so the last question on the owner financing piece because I want people people to be able to leverage this and use this. Mm-hmm. Um, you said it's all about making the numbers work. So I mean, a typical investor before they've used the owner financing. Um, strategy is going to basically just look at a property and say, okay, I think this is worth a hundred. I want to be in at 75% loan to value. So I can't have debt higher than 75,000. I can buy that. I can buy this at 50, put 25 in then refinance. And I'm in at 75 using owner financing on the same deal. 
you you could basically just I mean there'd be there'd be a couple ways. One would be, you know, you you put you have fifty in debt, and then the owner carries the other twenty five back, right? And so you're you're still in it for seventy five percent loan to value. Or you could go above that seventy five percent loan to value up as high as you want. And to your point, Dave, you said as long as the numbers work and you can cash flow and still pay that that debt off, then you're good. So what's your typical loan to value when while leveraging owner financing when that's included? What's the typical loan to value in a deal you guys do? Okay, great question. Um, and I never thought about it the way you just explained it. Um, but yeah, I, I we look at so many deals and so many places make money uh, if, it's only 75% loan to value. So I, I see beautiful buildings with beautiful cash flow and a 75 loan to value that I would need to cash flow it. Now, those diamonds in the rough, the ones that we buy, and in our book, we call them cash cows. Those are the ones that can support 100% financing. Those are the ones you find them few and far between. Like we've got other ones under contract right now. These buildings are going to make us, like, anyway, they're going to make copious amounts of money um, per month. And it's 100% financed. So that's kind of our play. And I know we've missed out on great buildings because we don't put down strokes or, you know, if we don't, if we don't have the investor in line right now and a deal goes up. But if you can find those ones that still have a strong cash flow with 75 from the bank, 25 from the seller, you know, owner finance, and you're still putting a couple thousand bucks in your pocket every month, those are the ones that you need to bend over backwards for. And that's what we did initially. Um, and it, once you get a couple of those, then you know, once I, imagine once you pay off that 25% from the owner, like that's, you're already ahead. You're already cash flowing very right. strongly. Right. It just gets better. So yeah. those, are, those are cash cows. And those are the ones that we've built our portfolio on. So now, even when we buy ones that aren't as strong, because sometimes they come up and it's like, ah, this is a longer play. Our portfolio, our global portfolio can still support the ones that are a little weaker because those cash cows were, were our foundation. Nice. Yeah. And if, it's a, if it's a cash cow, when it's got hundred percent debt on it, then it's then to your point, it's going to be a massive cash producer when it's got 25% equity. Like, yeah, like we've got some, and it depends where your numbers are. It's all perception. Like it depends what your definition of cash cow are. Some places make 500, some places make 3000 a month. Like, We've got a couple of buildings in particular, like they're 100% financed. We came up with zero money and they make us $3,000 net or like profit a month. That's great. How can you say no to that, right? And imagine once I bring it to the bank and I have lower interest, like it's all day, every day. Sure. And now to be able to do that, because I'm sure, you know, you might be thinking or some people might be thinking, okay, well, that sounds great, but how do I find these places and, it's just you got a you gotta look 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 keep looking, um and and do marketing whatever way you can and and I know you may not have the budget right now and that's okay. Um we had you know we did invest we had one huge year we spent thousands. Um we had radio spots saying if your properties want to buy your property call us and our phones would ring you know ten times a day with people wanting to sell to us. We also, if you, if you don't want to spend money on, on, on radio or, or if you're in a huge market that radio won't work for you, um, you know, go knock on doors, find out who the landlord is, go to landlord board association and, and meet up with them and tell them, Hey, I'm actively buying property. When you're ready to sell, call me first. Here's my card. Yeah. There's um, lots of free things you can do. And that's where your lingo will come into play. You know, the, 
you know, say, hey, some of your building and like, well, what loan to value are you looking for? Uh, what? What was that? <laughs> like, so that's where it all comes together, right? Sure. And as well, what we started doing as well is that, you know, we, we stayed secured in our, in our own town, which was great, um, but now we're expanding. So why are we only staying in Earth Bay when there's real estate worldwide? So now we're looking for cash cows across Canada and the States as well. So I'd love to dip into the States, yeah. So nice. maybe you'll be able to hook us yeah. up down the road. Yeah. <laughs> we'll, 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 we'll have to put our heads together and figure out something. Yeah. Uh, awesome. Okay, cool. Well, let's, uh, you guys have achieved something that, that a lot of the listeners are actively pursuing, which is, I call it financial freedom through real estate investing. You've built this cash machine that's paying your bills and you've been able to quit your jobs. How did you... Mel, you mentioned kind of a little bit around this earlier, but I'd love for y'all to give me some detail on this, if you will. How did you plan this out? And then how did you know when to make the jump from your nine to five and do this full time? Well, it was really, that I think for us, it was having something attached to it. So it wasn't just a numbers game. It wasn't just, I want to have 10 properties or I want to have a hundred doors back then or goal. You know, it was, we would, we're big believers on vision boards and we, we talk about that in our book as well, um, is creating vision board. And we had, we always have had vision boards and we had our dream house. We had our dream vehicles. And, and this was all when we were, it wasn't always glorious. I mean, we lived in a, one of my tiny, tiny two bedroom apartments when I was six months pregnant with two kids and we had tenants downstairs and, you know, old um, windows. And so we, again, Although it seemed far-fetched, we, we worked through it um, temporarily on a part-time. So, yeah. And the other thing, too, that's cool is we always kind of, you know your numbers, right? Like if your mortgage is, you know, whatever, or your rent, and then your car payments are that. So you know your numbers. You know what you need to live every month. The cool part with Melissa and the vision boards is... Like next, I, I I want a Lamborghini. I know it sounds cliche and all that, but I know that I need to close, you know, a few more buildings that make a certain amount of money to be able to do that. So that was kind of the same mindset whenever, you know, Mel wanted to leave work. Well, we knew we needed X amount of cash flow per month to get there. Sure. Mel wanted her nice SUV. Well, hey, we got to go find some buildings, you know, let's get, we need this much cash flow to cover it. So it's really... And we need a bigger house because we have three kids. If, if hey, if I'm a single person, then I don't need a, a big house. So it's really on your own numbers, but sure. that's kind of how we've always done it is how yeah. many buildings do we need to, to pay for that? Yeah. It was waiting to have the cash flow before buying. So, it, you know, we drove around a, an old, old rusty van that was so embarrassing because it would make noise every single time we started it. And I was so embarrassed, but I had a lot of properties behind, which was fine because I knew my end goal. So, once we had enough properties and I was able to buy myself a nice vehicle and now uh, kept buying properties and then we we're able to buy our dream home and kept buying properties. And I was able to leave my job. So just don't rush. Don't buy, you know, be careful of consumer debt. Don't buy the consumer debt with your own money. Um, buy, buy properties, um, buy into things that will make you money that can pay for, for your luxuries. Absolutely. I love it. Yeah. I'm, I'm a, I'm a big, proponent of doing exactly what you said, which is living well below your means and building your, you know, building a portfolio of assets that are going to make you cash and go up in value, then 
buy the nice house and the nice car and all that because so many people do it exactly backwards, right? They go buy the yeah. nice house and the nice car and they spend every penny they ever hoped to have and they're in debt up to their eyeballs on stuff that's not really going up in value. I mean, the the primary residence might a little bit, but they're paying so much to keep up the primary residence and their and their cars are going down in value the second they drive them off the lot and they're, you know, eating at the nicest restaurants for every meal and they and they're just credit card debt and it's out of control, you know. But if know. you'll if you'll drive the old van, live in the small house that's got tenants downstairs and put your money into stuff that's going up in value and returning cash like these investment properties, you eventually get to a point where you've got so much excess that you can go buy those other things and it doesn't hurt you, you know? And I love that. And, and, and the re and the other thing too, the, is, um, what we noticed is we, we stayed so, I shouldn't say broke, but we stayed so minimal for so long because the banks have no reason to say no, your debt recovery ratio is good. So if the building is good, Hey, you don't have a car payment. Hey, your minute, your mortgage payment is low. Like, you know, if you're maxed up to the eyeballs, like you said, they're not going to say yes. Yeah. You know, even if you find an amazing building, they're still going to look at you to some, you know, component and you're not going to qualify. So it's okay to not have the, you know, the best clothes or the new vehicle and the new electronics and all that. Put in the time because the short term, you know, the short term that you can do this in a matter of years, typically for, for more real estate investors that go, you know, very dedicated. Um, it's short-term sacrifice, you know, so you, you sacrifice for a few years to live the life you want to live for the rest of your life. It is so worth it. Um, you know, and then of course for us, we're with the kids and, you know, we've already created that base for them as well. So it's just, it just makes so much sense for us to, to do it that way. Absolutely. So, you know, what I, what I've done, you know, simple back of the napkin calculation, if you're wanting financial freedom through real estate investing, let's say that, you have calculated that you need ten thousand per month uh, in in excess cash flow after debt service, all operating expenses, and I include property management, of course, because I don't want to be managing all my own stuff. But different people approach that differently. But um, I would say, okay, I want ten thousand dollars a month, so I want to I want to have one hundred twenty k a year, and that would for me mean I'm putting some away in savings, paying all my bills, and and able to you know let my real estate pay for that. I would say, okay, ten thousand a month. If I can get 200 bucks a door, I take 10,000, I divide that by 200 and I've got 50 doors, right? And of course, you know, you guys mentioned some of your properties are bringing back $3,000. I don't know how many doors those have, but you know, if you've got a property that's bringing you a thousand, obviously that's going to decrease the number of doors you need to be able to, to reach this financial freedom number. But you know, I, in Brandon Turner mentioned this on one of his bigger pockets podcasts, but he said he was going after this hardcore and got to the financial freedom uh, goal through an apartment complex he purchased and then kind of hung out for like a month or two and was like, man, I got to go back to work. This is boring me to death. So I think most people chasing this are not actually wanting to just retire and do nothing. They're they're wanting to kind of change their job over to doing something they really love. And, um, mm-hmm. and for me, that is real estate and you guys sound the same way. So this has, yeah. been, this, this has been super cool, guys. Well, let, let's let's switch over to our random time for random questions now. All right. Number one, okay. what what would be what would be a book that each one of you would recommend um, that our, ris- our listeners check out? Uh, mine is uh, Robert Kiyosaki, uh, Rich Dad Poor. I know it sounds so cliche again, Rich Dad Poor Dad, but that's that's where he changed my mind about uh, about debt and what it, what debt actually means, good and bad. Cool, and- love that book. Yeah, 
for me was probably the the one that really got me thinking bigger was um, Grant Cardone's 10x book because um, I think I I used to undervalue myself and underestimate my capabilities and and I'll kind of touch on this slowly is that or quickly is that when I was uh, younger my goal was to have I wanted 10 properties when I was 40 and I thought that was huge like you know people would say like oh my gosh how are you going to do that and in a small town, and and uh, I thought I was setting my goals so high, and and meanwhile, you know, we reached almost 100 doors um, before turning 40, and I was able to quit my job and have twin property. So, I, looking back, I underestimated um, myself, and I was setting my goals and not taking enough action. So, that book for me is uh, what kind of woke me up and say, okay, I can do this, and set bigger goals and take bigger action. Cool. I love it. Hey, and I wanted to ask you guys, I didn't, I didn't get this detail, but how, how long did it take you to get to accumulate this hundred units that you have? Uh, well, I think we had about the last two years is when we like 2017 is when we bought 12. Um, and that's kind of when I read the Kiyosaki book. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we had about eight before and that was over a period of what, two, three, four, five, four, mm-hmm. four years, let's say. We've been together for six, seven, yeah. So let's say three to four years it took us to get up to between six and eight. And then after that, the last two years has just been, well, 12 and the one. 2018, we bought three. This year, we we have one closing. That, we, that's no, three, that's three properties with how many doors in each? Like, how many units have you bought in the last couple of years? Uh, last year is when we bought the 17plex. Okay. Uh, last year, we bought a 17-unit building and two duplexes so two two building units okay so 21 units last year yeah cool that's great making making really fast progress on this okay so let let me let me head to my next question and my last question for this random question time what's the biggest mistake you see real estate investors making uh paralysis analysis Hmm. and just uh, i'm just even I remember when I was, I just heard so many people talk about it. Like we used to be so worried to tell our secrets like this kind of stuff to be a better take backs. And I, I, I kind of going to, I'm going to repeat on how Bear, uh, Gary Vaynerchuk said it once. Like I tell you all my secrets because 99.9% of you aren't going to do it anyway. Yeah, that's still so, so true, man. I, it's, it's so very true. Blunt about it. So uh, that's why I just see people overthinking it and getting scared and it's like, just jump in. You're, you're going to make mistakes. You're going to get scared, but you're going to look back and laugh. Like now I look back at, 2012, Dave, that was scared to do real estate. You know what I mean? Yeah, totally. Totally. What and about you, Mel? Part, yeah, and the fear part, pretty much the same, the fear part of, uh, you know, not taking, or the unknown, and, and I mean, we're the same now. We're, we're diff- fear doesn't go away. Fear will always be there if you're growing. So now we're, you know, we're, we set ourselves some massive goals. We want to, you know, to, to hit a thousand doors in, in um, you know, within the next five years. So we're taking massive action. Um, is there a fear that comes with that? Absolutely. Is there some unknown? Absolutely. But it's not going to stop us. So it's believing in yourself and believing that, um, we're not going to be the first people to do it. Um, we're not going to be the last. So if it's been done, it's doable. You just have to not give up and, and keep moving forward. I love it. I love it. Guys, this has been awesome. I'm looking forward to, um, to all of our listeners getting to, to hear this and be inspired by this. And um, guys, go check out their book on Amazon, Real Estate Investing Secrets, and also go give them a follow on Instagram, Investor Couple, Mel and Dave. 
And um, guys, let's let's keep in touch on all this and figure out how to do some deals together. That would awesome. be amazing. Thank you so, so much for having us on your show. It's so fun. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. I'd love to connect with you. So please hit me up on Instagram at Daily Real Estate Investor or on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, or YouTube. If you want to know more about this episode, check out our show notes along with the blog at dailyrealestateinvestor.com. And don't forget to sign up for the mailing list while you're there. We'll keep you up to date on the book in the works as well as new episodes. And tune in next time for another episode of the Daily Real Estate Investor. And do me a massive favor. Please subscribe to the podcast. Leave a review for me and share the show with your friends. Your support means the absolute world to me and know that I will do everything within my power to help you reach financial freedom through real estate investing. I love you each and believe you're capable of far more than you think possible.